Welcome to the latest episode of the Informing Choices mini-pod. I often reflect on the pace and scale of change in our world, very often technology-enabled, and the challenge of enabling a more human future. Perhaps increasing the role of humans in our future seems unlikely, given what we see of the potential for organisations, both public and enterprise, to adopt and embrace increasingly sophisticated and pervasive automation technologies. But it is precisely the transition that requires us to consider ways of enabling more humanity at the heart of our organisations, perhaps a new way of conceiving organisations. So to consider humanity in future organisations, I'm delighted to welcome Alessandra Murazzi to the podcast. Alessandra is a relational systems architect, leadership development and impact coach and creator of Mycelium. Alessandra, a warm welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here. Tell us about Mycelium, if you would. Sure, I'd be delighted and thank you for having me here. Uh, Mycelium is, uh, where do I start, uh, is, uh, is uh, so many things. It's an emergent idea and so every day is a uh, taking shape and changing and evolving depending on the conversations and, uh, and inspirations so that I stumble over. So the idea behind Mycelium is really to explore different uh, models uh, of governance uh, and also economy and collaboration to create nurturing spaces, spaces in which we want to live so that everything that we do from technologies to, to strategies are still connected to that fundamental question of are we going in, in a direction of a future that we want to inhabit? And so mycelium is really that, is that exploration of um, how do we create those uh, spaces of collaboration and connection so that we can be human in, uh, in our systems. Well, I, I think we're going to find a lot in common during this conversation because it feels very close to uh, the, uh, the the idea of a very human future, which uh, I do quite a bit of work on. But but let's start with this, shall we? Uh, what are the drivers of change that you that you see that give space to your ideas that have allowed mycelium to evolve into into what it's becoming? First, uh, of course, uh, the kind of complexity that we are dealing with and the level of uncertainty um, that uh, we feel inside our body. I, I work, uh, one of my main areas of, uh, of engagement is in coaching. Uh, and uh, so I work with a lot of teams and uh, people and organization. And uh, I feel in their bodies, uh, in their um, being that uncertainty that we are not so well prepared to deal with. And I feel that uncertainty and that complexity is very much connected to the fact that yeah. the shapes and forms that we were used to, the narratives that we were used to, have kind of dissolved. And so we are left navigating this unbounded space, this space of possibilities, and we are lacking the compass. We feel we are lacking the compass. So the mycelium was really, um, is really plugged into that kind of, uh, of uh, consideration of realization that what becomes important in such a 
time of complexity and uncertainty is going back to fundamental skills of landing and locating. Mm. So when I say landing, I mean knowing who we are, most essentially, what do we stand for? What matters? What are our intentions? What gives us joy? And what gives us purpose? And so on. And so the question of who we are as human beings um, in our ecosystem and locating that is really where we are. Yeah. So the question of where. And uh, mycelium is uh, the other big, uh, big trend that I think uh, locates mycelium is exactly that, that shift of consciousness between ecosystems to ecosystems. Yeah. It's networks and distributed structures and so on. So those are the two main things that I would point to. I really like that switch between ego and ecosystems. That's uh, that, that's really nice. The other thing that struck me as, as as you were talking there, you mentioned the word possibility. So are you also looking at kind of the switch from fear of the unknown, fear of the future, fear of uncertainty into possibility? And what do you think are the critical kind of components that we need to adopt to make that shift? Learning to all the discomfort mm. we are so used to engage with uh, with the uh, fear and uh, what uh, what brings us disturbance uh, using really the, the 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 capacity of our reptilian brain and uh, the, the the question is instead how can we just hold pause and hold and build organizations building cells uh, building um, a soma, I would say, so who we are, that can hold the discomfort and normalizes it. It's, it's interesting, isn't it, that when we think about organizations, we kind of forget what we're actually talking about is a whole bunch of people. You know, organizations, when we think initially, I mean, I'm generalizing massively, but when we think about organization, it seems to be something mechanical and it, it almost ignores the organic, doesn't it? does yes it does and we have this tendency of separating uh, mm. working in either or type of scenario so it's either processes or people strategies uh, or soft uh, um, soft aspects right so we like those separations that's how we our mind tends to work in these polarities and uh, and uh, if we could conceive the possibilities that those polarities uh, are actually kind of a veil produced by our mind. And beyond that, everything is uh, in becoming, uh, is in evolution, is interconnected. Then again, that's where we are building the capacity for uncertainty. Then we could navigate that flow with much more ease. Yeah, that's interesting, the notion of the veil, because I think very often people will put a veil over the dimension of time, which is, I think, why we become uncertain about how the future might play out. You know, it's too com it's already complex what we've got now. So to add another dimension in their time, thinking about the future kind of makes it exponentially more complex. Let, let's move on to thinking about 
perhaps some particular area of technology. So how do you think, for example, that increasing digitization represents both hurdles, but also enablers to increasing human centricity? And you know that that specific word's been planted there for you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because you know that I have a bit of a resistance <laughs> towards uh, using the word centricity for for this. Well, uh, why, first of all, let me start there. Why do I have resistance towards talking about human centricity? And mycelium is, an, uh, is, a, is a structure in nature, is a structure that has no center. It's a, actually not even a structure, it's a process, it's not a thing. And in that process, what is a central, what is uh, the focus are the relationships. So if we are really have to talk about what mycelium is, uh, I would shift from human centricity to relation centricity, because it's not just a relationship between humans, which again, may be a bit of a blind, blind spot, but it's a relationship with also nature, with, with also the structures, the processes, and so on. Also, relationship with technology, and so on. So, so, let's, uh, but, so if you don't mind, I, I'd like to maybe reframe your question in that. Uh, how is digitalization or other technologies uh, enabling uh, or hindering uh, that uh, uh, relationship-centric uh, approach? And I think they are, first of all, yes, they can be a big hindering factors, but that's because we tend to think that technology is what is in focus. Technology is an enabler to something that matters to us. So the outcome is not a nicer technology, a more um, sophisticated one, a more beautiful one. We fall in love with our productions, with our outcomes. And if we instead reconsider technology and we give technology that role of uh, enabling futures that we want to inhabit, then the potential is huge. The potential is, uh, is huge. I believe that one of the fundamental trends and one of the fundamental shifts that we are experiencing is exactly that relational consciousness, that ecosystem consciousness. And something like technologies, digital technologies, enable connections. Mm. Now, the, the, the little uh, caveat that I would like to make there is that connections, relationships are not threads, are not thin lines uh, that can be connected, uh, that we feel we have when we have uh, a few thousand followers on LinkedIn or another platform. That's nothing to do. Um, mycelium is is made of ife of uh, threads uh, is or not of threads but tubes of connections and that's important for me. So how can technology support the creation of channels of relationship where the warmth and richness of our humanity can flow? That's the key question, right? And not just digitalization is, a, is, um, is an enabler. I'm exploring blockchain and the role that it can play in this. Because if mycelium is a governance opportunity to model, to add humanity and the humanness and relationships into how we do things, blockchain could be the scaffolding 
that holds it because of its decentralized, the decentralized fra frame and, uh, and the lack of centricity. It's uh, really the technological comparison of the natural mycelium, right? But yeah. it's the warmth and connection and, and humanity in it. So. That's, I mean, that, that's really interesting. The, the, the other thing that particularly st strikes me is, you know, you hear quite a lot, and particularly through the pandemic, we heard quite a lot uh, about how technology and collaboration platforms like Zoom have helped us retain connections, develop relationships, uh, and so on. But for me, I always think it's less about the technology because some people say that the, the, those same technologies have actually damaged relationships. Mm -hmm. It's more about our behaviors. I always think it's the way that we use these tools, not the tools themselves. So a fully decentralized organization can still operate very effectively with personal connection. So long as the behaviors are put in place to develop a culture that accepts that. Is, is that how you see it as well? Yes, absolutely. And I think it's also more uh, fundamental. The, the risk of technologies uh, like Zoom is that they make us see people in two dimensions and yeah. flattens uh, who we are. Buber would say it moves us towards an I-it relationship towards others. So how do we regain that I-thou, that depth of the person again? And it is... It's definitely possible, but we need to remind ourselves, remember, remember that on the other side, there's a human being with yeah. a body, with a pulsating heart, with, uh, with veins and muscles and bones and, and the same uh, fundamental needs. So, Yeah, really nice way to put it. I like that. Uh, one of the things that has struck me for a number of years is that we have, I think, traditionally seen organizations behave in a quite masculine type way um not necessarily male and female but, but masculine you know um, we need to be strong uh, we need to be resilient um uh, we need to be some of those things that we might as associate with more masculine traits but equally i think the more human we're seeking to become you could argue that actually we're going to rely on more feminine traits so do you think that could drive a paradigm shift in how we conceive organizations in the future and how does that in a way relate to gender equality in the future does it actually help to accelerate that because there are some of these more what we might consider feminine traits that become increasingly important mm -hmm. I, I tend to see this uh, in a, again in an evolutionary way I like, I like maps of evolution mm. rather than uh, static frameworks. Yep. And uh, whatever map of evolution, whether psychological ev development, uh, whether the chakra system in, uh, in Eastern traditions uh, or other maps of development, uh, what you see is that naturally any developing system and our collective consciousness, we can see it as a living system, as a, as a system in itself. So both individually as well as collectively, I can see that we are walking that path of evolution and uh, that stage of connecting more strongly to a masculine, to a young energy, 
was probably adaptive to a certain stage of our humanity. Is it still adaptive? Possibly not. Now, I believe that the point here in our evolution in that map is not so much to go into the feminine, but into the integration of the two. Yeah. So if you look at a child developing, the feminine comes in first, and then the masculine comes in a bit later. So if we were to look at that, then we forget about the feminine, the flowing, the creative, and so on. And many of us tend to get stuck into that masculine energy, the young, also because of cultural and societal factors that move mm -hmm. us, in, at least uh, global north, Western societies. In the East, it's yes. maybe slightly different, okay? yeah. so it's not generalized. But in our, in our, in, in this uh, context where I am, uh, that's where uh, that's where we where we are. What comes next? If we look back at those maps of development, uh, what comes back in the chakra system uh, would be a heart consciousness. What comes back uh, in a child development is that stage of integration where uh, we move from being in the center of the world and defining ourselves in competition with everything in a in, uh, in just exposition with everything to integrate the possibility that we are connected to that everything. Now, that's, I think, where we are moving. It's like the Tao, right? The yin and yang are now to come together. The feminine and masculine are now to come together. And I see the masculine as, as more the energy that holds uh, that space for creativity and flow to come back strong into our lives. Yeah, that's that's really nice. I like the idea of that um, of the integration of of both those things being important in our future. And I guess what we've really done here is we've kind of quite quickly talked through some of the really interesting traits that I think are going to be absolutely essential if what we want to see in the future is you know, my framing, a more human future where we are actually focusing on how do we take the opportunities that we're presented with right now through new technologies, new ideas, for example, uh, to ensure that actually it is humanity that prevails in a broad sense of humanity um, and not a very small proportion of humanity, um, not a very small number of big tech companies that actually what we do is create something that is much more human um, in its nature, much more relationally based. Um, mm. and, and that feels like a, a much more acceptable future, doesn't it? It does. It does, absolutely. And uh, in that future, what I see is that uh, both the uniqueness uh, of the individual or the uniqueness of the space, the place, as well as uh, its intersectionality mm. with the rest, hold the same validity, uh, yeah. hold the same uh, place, uh, role. It's again, you know, it's mycelium is, is, a, is a network. Uh, and in that network, you have those intersections and each knot, each one of us is a knot in that, in that net. And both who we are, our 
uniqueness, our positionality, you would say in other terms, and our intersectionality with everything else are important. So that's, I think, the future that I wish for my children <laughs> and, and for the rest of us. Well, Alessandra, that has been absolutely fascinating and, and such an enjoyable conversation as well. So uh, thank you so much for your time today. My pleasure and thank you for having me here. And thank you everyone for listening. You can find out more about Alessandra's work from the contact information in the podcast description. In the meantime, do let your friends and colleagues know about the Informing Choices mini pod and there'll be another episode along very soon. <laughs>